0: I think we have a tendency to overestimate what we can achieve in a year but underestimate what we can achieve in five years. You know, I think we have, yeah, a tendency to set a really big goal and if we don't achieve it, um, you know, in those first few months or that year you get deflated and you lose that motivation because you feel like you're never going to achieve it. But, in fact, it's always about chipping away at the smaller stepping stones to get to the bigger goal. And for me, I noticed that the most, you know, in the gym, like you might have a session where you're not lifting as heavy as you were last week, but actually the next week you will because it was just a a little blip and, and the commitment and the consistency is what keeps you going and keeps you improving.
1: From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share inspiring conversations to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor in Chief Lisa Giebelwagen. Could you come back from your worst ever career moment to then put it all on the line just two days later? That's what today's guest, Jessica Fox, did. And spoiler alert, she killed it. Jess is now the greatest paddler of all time, male or female in her sport, and finished the last year with eight world championship titles but it didn't come easy. In this chat, you'll learn how she reframes disappointments so that she keeps improving, and what she shares is excellent advice that you can apply to your own health, well-being, or career goals. Plus, she talks about training around her menstrual cycle, her tools for recovery, and how she loves a good ugly cry. So you have had a massive 12 months. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, not only have you won a bronze and gold medal at the um, Olympic Games, you had you also won a gold medal in the extreme slalom at the World Championships. I didn't even know there was an extreme version of that event. How have the last few months been like, really climatizing to this, to being the goat, the greatest of all time <laughs> in your sport?
0: Yeah, I think. Um... When I look back on on 2021, it was that year that we were all waiting for that was meant to be 2020. So it just kind of um, it became this huge year for me of competitions because we had obviously the Olympics and the build up of the Olympics, but then also the main season and the world championships. So we've never had an Olympic Games and the world champs in the same year. And, yeah, if I look back on, on the year, I had my one of my most successful seasons with a major title in three different events, obviously the Olympic title in the canoe um, and the extreme slalom world title and then the World Cup title in the kayak. So I think, yeah, it, it's it's been a great year. And, and I've sort of said that that term, the GOAT um I kind of talk about it a little bit in in the Greatest to Gold documentary, but I I didn't feel like I could really pull off that title until I won an Olympic gold medal. So it is really special now to reflect and see that, yeah, I've achieved that big goal and now it's back to the drawing board and setting new goals.
1: (laughs) Which is interesting that you say, because I did wonder, once you hit a massive goal like that, how do you reset your goals and maybe change how you how you then look at your career
0: I think for me it's it's interesting because I wondered how I would feel going back to competition straight after the Olympics you know it's such a mm. massive event it's what we've worked for for five years it, there's so much hype around it and then going to a World Cup or the world Championships I thought maybe I won't feel that excitement on the start line because I've achieved such a big thing but I think anytime I do sit on the start line I get that I get those butterflies, those nerves, that energy that I want to do the best that I can and see how far I can push it. So for me, I think the new goals are always just about continual improvement and seeing how close to the boys I can get, um, seeing how I can improve my technique and, and keep evolving, keep getting stronger. And yeah, I love competition. So I think Paris, the Paris Olympics are only Two and a bit years away now, so it'll come around really quickly. And we have world champs later on this year. So yeah, the goals just kind of for me roll on, and I'm always just looking for that those one percenters on how I can improve.
1: I love that approach. Actually, the making sure you're improving, you're just looking at those one percenters that you can improve. Because I think a lot of people when they're taking on their own personal goals, it can seem so overwhelming to get to where they want that people just don't even try sometimes. Whereas that 1% approach, you don't see yourself making a difference day to day. But when you look at, say, maybe in five years' time, the 1% makes a massive difference. And I guess in your sport too, 1% in a race can be the difference between coming first or coming third.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or coming third and coming fourth. At the Olympics, I'm third by 0.1 of a second. I could have easily been fourth and I had to kind of look at it as I made that margin through all those one percenters that I've worked towards. And I think I think we have a tendency to overestimate what we can achieve in a year but underestimate what we can achieve in five years.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I think
0: we have, yeah, a tendency to set a really big goal and if we don't achieve it... Um, you know, in those first few months or that year, you get deflated and you lose that motivation because you feel like you're never going to achieve it. But in fact, it's always about chipping away at the smaller stepping stones to get to the bigger goal. And for me, I noticed that the most, you know, in the gym, like you might have a session where you're not lifting as heavy as you were last week, but actually the next week, you will because it was just a little blip and, and the commitment and the consistency is what keeps you going and keeps you improving. Um, and, yeah, on the water I think I'm in a really technical sport where we use a lot of video review and analysis and I love training with different people so that I can keep um, evolving my technique and getting inspiration from different people.
1: You spoke just then about how close you were to coming forth um, instead of winning the bronze in the K-1 at the Olympics. But then two days later you end up winning gold in the C1. How when we talk about mental preparation, how do you go from working with disappointment to then building yourself back up again so that you're ready to face a big event like that?
0: Yeah, it was the biggest 72 hours of my life. (laughs) So emotional, so much emotional and and mental energy went into that and and like I sort of said I had to reframe rather than saying you know I should have won the gold I could have won the gold I made that mistake and and I you know I lost it was I've won a third olympic medal I've won the bronze medal Mm -hmm. and it was really frustrating for me to know that that last penalty that two second penalty was what kept me from the gold medal position but it also showed that I still have so much to learn you know I'm still learning I'm still human and the good thing was I had another opportunity in the canoe and I just had to kind of accept that there would be emotion tied to that race so for me whether that was you know winning the kayak or not winning the kayak I knew I would be emotional about it and I just kind of let it out I um I went onto that podium I tried to really appreciate that moment celebrate it with Mayelen who came second and Ricardo, who came first and then I got in the taxi and I just bawled my eyes out the drive back to the village and I just had to really try and get the emotion out and mm-hmm. and then switch off so for me switching off was doing some breathing techniques watching friends while getting physio <laughs> talking about anything but the Olympics with my physio um and and also journaling you know those sort of 48 hours after the kayak in the lead up to the C1, I, any time I had a negative thought come into my head, I just wrote it down and counteracted by saying, well, no, actually, I've prepared extremely well or I know and I trust my skills that I that I can pull this off and that I'll be ready when it matters. So in the end, I just really tried to reframe and, and to think that we all have disappointments um tomorrow is a new day and a new opportunity and today I deserve to do my best race it's not that I deserve to win it's just that I deserve to do my best race
1: that reminds me of what we were talking about at the shoot yesterday about how when you set your goals it's not maybe not necessarily to win something but to do your best and to race your best exactly yeah why why do you frame it that way
0: I think I frame it that way because I can't control my competitors. I can't control what the course will be. I can't control what the weather will be. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm in a sport where there are so many different elements and any of the top 10 women can can win a race. You know, it's not like um, other sports where you've got your PB and if your PB is the world-leading time, you've got a very good shot at winning, Um, you know, for us there are so many different things that come into play. So I try and really focus on me and on myself, knowing that if I have my best race, I'm setting myself to be in a good position to win, but I actually can't be disappointed if I don't win, if I've done my perfect race, because that's all I can control. Um, So it's always about my effort and my intention. And, you know, especially at the Olympics, like, it's such a challenging race to win because of everything else around it, you know, all the distractions, the pressure, the hype. Um, So yeah, anytime I set my goal, I really just try and link it back to how I want to feel and compete versus what I want at the end, because hopefully that comes naturally. (laughs) Um, But in saying that, you know, obviously I do dream of the gold medal because or that Olympic title, because it's what I've been dreaming about since I was a little girl. So there are little things that I do that are drawing me closer to that or that are linking me back to that dream goal. But on paper, I try and make sure that it's very much things I can control.
1: Yeah. It's such a good approach to also take into other areas of life. Do you find that you do that just because this is a way that you've basically trained your mindset um, in your sporting career?
0: I think so. I think I'll always be trying to, I'll always be competitive in whatever I do.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: I think I, I do try and bring that same mindset, especially in terms of resilience. You know, if I, um, if, if I feel disappointed about something um, or if I have something going on in my personal life or in mm-hmm. in my sport but I have a, a big presentation to give or whatever it might be, I really try and make sure I learn from what I'm doing in my sport about compartmentalising and, and being focused and present in what I need to do and where I need to be in the next setting that I'm in. So um, the skills we learn in sport, you know, when we talk about transition, there are a lot of soft skills that, that we learn that I think are really valuable in, in a different environment.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely. Even when you spoke earlier about getting into the taxi and just really feeling that disappointment and letting it all out, I think that's another thing that really translate well translates well into everyday life, where yeah. I think a lot of people tend to run away from their emotions. But you gave such a great example of giving the emotions that chance to be expressed to yeah. let it out and then being able to then focus on what you need to focus on.
0: I'm all about a power cry. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, you know, there are times when you just feel so overwhelmed and you just need to take five minutes, set your phone timer yeah. and let it out for five minutes And if you stop before the five minutes, you just think, you know what, if I want to cry, I still have two minutes left. I'm giving myself that luxury. (laughs) And then you just switch it. You just move on. You let it out.
1: That is so awesome. Because when I grew up, we grew up in a culture where if sad stuff happens, we're told, oh, don't cry, don't cry. And then it it was only when I was in my 20s when I discovered that hey crying is actually a good thing um and to let it all out so I love this idea of having the five minute timer because I think that's a solid amount of time for a good cry
0: it's actually almost too long you find that you're really (laughs) like you you know you do the ugly cry for a few minutes and you're like yeah hey I can I'm I'm ready to walk through this door and be a new person. but for me it's funny because at training you know there'll be sessions that are really challenging physically, mentally, taxing mm. and and you get frustrated and you do get emotional if you're not doing what you're if you're not delivering what you're trying to deliver and I find that if I just let it out and have my cry, my frustrated cry, I am I have this fierce determination afterwards you know it's almost like Mm. once I get it out then I'm really focused and ready to do better than what I was just then so I you need to use the emotion for for good as well
1: how did you learn this is this something that was taught to you or did you discover over time
0: I I guess it's just about being self-aware and knowing yourself and being emotionally aware as well, um, I, I probably learned it through experience but also probably through my, my parents and, and mum who is also my coach. Um, I think, you know, we, as female athletes, there are not that many female coaches around and maybe yeah. it would have been different if I had a male coach and didn't feel like I could, um, you know, those days where I didn't need to have a cry, that I could express it and that that, that I could have that support and that space to do it. Um, but also just having the support around when things do get overwhelming, knowing how to manage it. And for some that's, you know, speaking to a psychologist and working through different techniques or breathing techniques or whatever it might be. Um, it might be journaling, but I think I've always had this process of knowing what my emotions are trying to accept the emotions are there and then, yeah, just work with it or overcome whatever it is that I'm faced with and know and trust that I will get through whatever it is I'm going through.
1: It's interesting what you say about having a male coach versus a female coach, because with my boxing team, our boxing coach, he, before he trained us a bunch of girls, he'd never trained girls before. Yeah. Um, and then, so he had to learn a whole lot about like even menstrual cycles and yeah. training and then also the emotions and just having that cry and letting it out. I yeah. think at first he was like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Why are they crying? <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it, I think it's expressed differently, you know, for for at least what I can observe in my sport. Um, the male athletes, they tend to just get angry and it manifests in mm. rage on the water or, like, you know, yelling or, or hitting their equipment or whatever it might be. You know, it, it just comes out differently and they – show it differently to what we do and the coaches need to be aware of that but it's super interesting especially what you say around the menstrual cycle um you know a lot of coaches don't even consider that in their preparation and in their training whereas for me now you know my whole team mum my coach or my gym coach it's part of our planning it's part of our Um, awareness in the week and where we're at and how I'm feeling because I'm prone to injury around my period or like in that week before or the week of. So we just have to monitor my training so that I don't, you know, blow out my back or it might just mean having a few more recovery days. Um, But it's all about the planning. And a lot of people, a, a lot of coaches, a lot of athletes don't do that.
1: How long has it been now since you've been integrating that like your menstrual cycle with your training?
0: I think it's been probably since 2016 that I've realised the impact that it has on me when I had a um, one of the physios that we were working with who's an Irish woman, Emma, she sort of brought it to my attention that there were these incidents where I was blowing out my back and when I looked back I was like actually the times that I've had this back injury has been when I've had my period or when I've worn high heels. <laughs> those are <the> two <laughs> so, so I just now around those sort of either around my period or around events where I have to wear heels, I just have to make sure I'm doing more stretching, I'm seeing the physio more, or I'm modifying my training around it. But, um, you know, it does come into play around fatigue. Um, there are so many different things. I'm fortunate my period isn't like super painful and debilitating Um, Like I know a lot of women, you know, it it can be such a pain to be trying to train and perform. Um, So I do feel very fortunate, but it's still a pain (laughs) to try and manage. And it's interesting because I've always said that, for example, for the Olympics. um, Yeah. The likelihood of you waking up on that one day feeling the best you ever have feeling the fittest the strongest um the freshest you've probably not had a good sleep you, you could be sick you could have your period there are so many different things you can be sore and you've got to perform on that day so um mm. I always tell myself you know no matter how I'm feeling obviously listen to your body but I it might happen on a day where I don't feel good and I'll still have to try and perform
1: mm. yeah and so then you have to prepare for that moment yeah. So just after the Olympics, you posted a really cute photo of two-year-old you in 1996 with your mum who just won the bronze medal. And in the caption, you joked that your mum's trying to get you to touch the Olympic medal and two-year-old you is like, no, I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that photo. And then on the most serious note, you talk about how amazing it is for the two of you to share your gold medal together. So I was curious about like, what's it like having your mum as your coach? Yeah, it's
0: um, it's so, so special. And that photo, when I saw it, I just thought it was so funny because I made a joke that I didn't want to touch it because it was bronze and I only oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, she was obviously an incredible athlete herself. Um, she was also one of the favourites to win an Olympic gold medal. Uh, she was obviously dreaming of that herself. And so when she, you know, didn't achieve the dream gold medal, um I guess now to be able to do it together in this coach and athlete mum and daughter duo it's just been so so special it's a medal for myself but it's also for for mum and for my whole family you know my dad as well was an athlete who competed at the Olympics and world championships so um yeah it's so so special she knows me better than anyone else and (laughs) I think it is challenging because you know, sometimes there's not that switching off or that divide when your mom is also your coach. But at the same time, I think I've learnt so, so much from her and she's just this incredible, motivated, driven woman. So I feel very lucky.
1: What do you think is the most important lesson that you've learnt from your mum?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, there are so many, but I think for her it's just always been how driven and competitive she is and just the the importance of that hard work like we have done mm. some of the hardest sessions um where I've learnt the power of my mind and and how how mentally tough I can be to overcome and and you know pull out my fastest or my best time at the end of a one hour hard session you know she's really managed to push me in the scenarios where I feel like I can, I can perform in any situation now, you know, like it's yeah. really prepared. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest and the, the best lesson I've learned is also just to keep it simple and to be myself, to trust myself.
1: How do you learn to trust yourself? Cause I think that's a piece of advice that a lot of people hear, but don't necessarily know how to apply. It's a good question. I think for me, it's
0: about the self belief and it comes with experience probably you know i've i've been an athlete now for over 10 years at the highest level and i think it comes with experience but it's also about the trust in your work and in, in the effort that you've put in. And if you, if you haven't put in the work and you haven't put in the effort, you can't really lie to yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um,
0: It's, it's, you know, I've had instances where I've been injured and coming into a race, I don't feel as confident as I normally would because of that. But I trust that I've built the skills over the last 10 years that I can get through any situation. And I trust that, you know, I can, I can get through it. It's not, a life or death situation. So I think it's always about the perspective and and trusting yourself comes with whatever you've experienced. And it's also about just the self-talk. You know, for me, journaling, anytime I have the self-doubt, um, it helps me see that I, I have the skills or I've trained really well or that I've got the belief and it's all within me. It's just, you've, sometimes you've got to write it down to see it and you've got to write it down as if you're Someone else talking to yourself.
1: (laughs) Mm, I think writing down really helps because even if you try and internally tell yourself, "Hey, no, that's not wrong," there's something more impactful about seeing the words on a piece of paper.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's the same with with goals. I find once you write it down, it kind of becomes more meaningful and more powerful. And it's just, yeah, definitely the same with words around trusting and believing in yourself. Once you've written it down, even if you write it down in third person, I think it's, it has more impact.
1: So in your documentary, you talk about how you didn't necessarily want to follow in your parents' footsteps to begin with. Do you remember why that was? And do you also remember the moment where you, when you decided, yep, I'm fully in now? I think it
0: was because I grew up around the sport. You know, my mum went back to competition and training when I was born and so I was always around the riverbank as a little kid and when my parents became coaches and we moved to Australia I was three or four we were always at training with them and playing in the sand or the dirt or all the water um but then they would sort of say oh why don't you jump in why don't you have a paddle come on let's let's do this and it and it was kind of their thing and I didn't really want to do what they did um because I was into swimming and gymnastics at the time. But after breaking my arm in um, when I was 11, my physio, who's still my physio today, he said, you should you should paddle a bit to rehab your arm. And I was at the age where there were some other kids my age and, you know, that has a big impact too. So I sort of got to go down the rapids and that's where it became really fun for me and really exciting. And I'd say the moment where I thought, okay, I really want to give this a crack was when I was 14, 15 and competed at the Youth Olympic Festival in in Penrith and I won um, and it was just like my first international major race where I had that final butterflies feeling um, and I just thought yeah actually I really love this and I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not bad
1: at it at all. <laughs> um... Now, after watching you compete in the Olympic Games, I think not only was the country so emotional about your medals, but also I think pretty impressed by the amount of strength your sport requires, and I don't think this is something people would um, just assume of your sport. So I was wondering what does your sport-specific training look like and also your strength training?
0: So we train
1: um, probably
0: five or six times a week on the whitewater, Uh, And that's a mixture of technical sessions, which are sort of short segments where we're repeating a move uh, of three to five gates and we're just sort of repeating that a few times and then changing the course and moving down. Um, Or we're doing timed sections or we're doing full runs, which are like race runs and we'll do, you know, maybe 10 in a session and it's a really lactic and hard session. Uh, So that's sort of the sport specific. There's always a strong technical element there. Um, and then we also do some flat water sessions where we're working on basics, um, just the drills and also the physical endurance work that we need to do there or sprints, depending on the time of year. And I'll also do three gym sessions a week. So that's always pull-ups, bench pull, bench press, deadlifts, those sort of core major strength building exercises and at the moment we're working around five reps. So we're sort of loading and and getting heavy. Um, And then there's also a big core element. So we do a lot of core work and there's, you know, those typical sort of planks and, um, weighted sort of Russian twists and things like that. But then there's also sports specific ones where we're doing a lot of dynamic movements and rotation and either sort of sitting how I would be sitting in the kayak or the canoe and and using the med ball. So we try and get a bit creative and and specific in the gym as well.
1: How does your training change when you're um, preparing for the extreme salomp? That's a great question because it's a new event. So it's still sort of
0: We're all still building and discovering what works and and kind of adapting as well. And the extreme's a bit more physical. The boats are heavier. So, normally our slalom kayaks are nine kilos and the extreme kayaks are, uh, I think, 18 kilos. So, already just getting in one of those, you're doing like weighted training as you're traveling. And I won't be changing much in the gym. It'll just be, you know, getting stronger so that. Whatever it is that I'm doing is going to apply to my slalom and the extreme slalom work.
1: So with the next Olympics, there are three potential events that you could compete in. Are you have you worked out yet if you're going to do all three or are you going to focus on one or two? No, because it kind of. Um,
0: I mean, I'd love to do all three. It'll, but it'll depend on the selection process and also the the selection process on the international level around how many athletes we can qualify for Australia because if it's just one athlete who can qualify then then yes I'd be able to do all three but if we're able to get two athletes which would be amazing then maybe I'll only be able to do two or we don't really know yet what's possible in terms of doubling up events and competitors so we're sort of waiting to find out in the next um, six months or so what that'll look like.
1: Does it feel strange to be preparing for another Olympics already again?
0: It does. I can't believe it's two and a half years away. That's what blows yeah. my mind. I think it's going to come around so quickly. Like already this year is, um, yeah, it's an important year. We've got the World Championships, but next year is already Olympic qualifying. Yeah. So it's it's just, yeah, so quickly. I'm not complaining. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's great that it'll be a- another game so soon, and especially with the Winter Olympics, you know, it just feels like it's Olympic season, and there'll be come games as well. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so another thing that is close to your heart is the environment, and we were talking yesterday, just even about your diet choices, dietary choices, and so making sure that it is more friendly to the environment. Can you tell us a bit more about other things you do just to make sure that you are kinder to kinder to our planet?
0: I think um, you know I'm not like a, a strict vegan or anything, but I really am trying to make an effort and, and be more conscious. Um, you know, I've if I look back, you know, two to three years, my meat intake is just like. So, so reduced. I maybe eat meat once every few months if that depends if I'm overseas and that's kind of all we can find. Um, but, yeah, I really try and, and stick to veggie, pescatarian diet um, and just being more conscious. Like when I go to the supermarket, are the tomatoes that I'm buying wrapped in plastic or, you know, am I yeah. bringing my own bags? Like just trying to make those those conscious choices around um, – yeah, plastic and the impact that it has. And even just seeing the impact it has on where I trade and paddling on the river and seeing the amount of litter everywhere, I almost always have to bring a bag with me so that I can just pick up the the rubbish that's lining the bank or that I see floating around. So I think it's just more about the little things we can do, um, you know, no longer using straws, always bringing my keep cup with me, um, even, you know, using a, a menstrual re- reusable menstrual products like a, a cup and um those period undies and things like that are th- things that I've done recently that I think are making a big impact in my life but also I feel good about it you know
1: yeah isn't it amazing too that once you become conscious especially of plastic usage that you discover it's quite prevalent in most aspects of your life yeah I remember, I remember looking at uh, talking to my husband about it and one great piece of advice that we got from an expert is just to focus on one section of your home at the time because otherwise yeah, it's like, definitely. oh, my God, there's so much. It can feel overwhelming. That's, yeah, yeah, definitely. But
0: I think and that's where, you know, it doesn't have to be everything all at once, but it can be just gradual things. And it's like a habit, you know, the more you do it, the more it becomes natural to, to make those decisions. Um, and you can influence those around you as well to, to do that too.
1: Yeah, it's kind of almost going back to that idea that we were talking about at the start. You know, that one percent. Yeah. It's yeah, but in a, in a different way. Yeah, same kind of idea. So I was wondering, what is one of your well-being non-negotiables?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think just daily movement, always, e- even if I'm not training and it's a day off, um, just walking outside or slowly stretching just daily movement is super important for me i notice that when i'm when i'm sick or when i spend all day just on the couch watching tv i do not feel good either that afternoon or the next day so yeah daily movement i think
1: you mentioned earlier too that when you're training around your menstrual cycle sometimes it means you need extra recovery days i was curious what other things do you do for recovery Um, I really like doing –
0: so I go to a gym in Penrith called Atmosphere and they've got some classes like Pilates, yoga and anti-gravity yoga. I'm obsessed with it. I love the, like, upside down – I mean, it's not really recovery because I do get competitive and, like, try and do all things. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But I just love the feeling of, like, hanging upside down while supported and just that feeling in my back is just the best. So, yeah, I try and do either, like, a – a yoga or Pilates or an anti-gravity sort of class. Um, I love also using the sauna, which it's, yeah, I don't know, I feel like it's a great way to sort of cleanse and, and sweat it out. And we used it a little bit in the lead up to Tokyo just to get acclimatised to the heat and I sort of have liked doing it still on my recovery days. And sometimes um, I also see the physio or get a massage on a recovery day as well. Nice. But I think also the most important is listening to my body. And if that means I just need to lay lay at home and just do some light stretching and just drink a lot of water and make sure I'm eating well, then that's also very good to do.
1: <laughs> so when this episode comes out, it'll be the week of International Women's Day. And, you know, for us at Women's Health, we're very much about supporting, our, supporting athletes like you and the next generation of female athletes. I just wondered for you as such a great role model for uh just Aussies in general and especially for girls who want to be grow up and be a Jess Fox like what kind of advice would you have for for young girls out there
0: i think to just uh oh, it's it's so special when i meet kids and they feel inspired by what we're doing and 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 it's then really disheartening when they feel like oh, but I could never do that or, you know, it, it's it's not something I'd ever be able to do. I'll never get there. And for me, it started like that as a little girl with a dream and just writing that dream down and just hustling and working for it and believing in it. So I think whatever it is that um, that kids are aspiring to be, it doesn't have to be in sport. It can be in whatever field, just... Believing that someone somewhere will achieve that, so why not them? You know, if they're if they're prepared to to work hard and and to try and learn from as many people and things as possible, I think there's there's room for everyone to chase their dreams.
1: Now, I'm not sure about um, your sport specifically, but there's still quite a disparity between the genders in sport, like yeah. when it comes to pay or coverage. What do you think? Needs to still be done to make sure that our female athletes are getting the recognition um, that they deserve.
0: In our sport, we um, fortunately don't have that problem anymore. We did for many years. There was only one event for the women and three events for the men. Um, But Tokyo was the first Olympics where we had gender equality, which is finally a great step in the right direction. But I think just calling it out when it's happening, you know, the that that the fact that women are getting different prize money or different salaries in different sports i think is really disappointing and needs to be called out and there's been such amazing improvement um over the last few years i think so many people so many more people are talking about it we're seeing more sport on tv which is amazing and i think it just the more we talk about it the more kids can see women on tv the more people are viewing women's sport i think that's the most important thing and the most organic way to keep growing it um and there are some great also initiatives out there who are doing some great things you know one of my friends Chloe Dalton with the female athlete project you know she's yeah doing amazing it's work. awesome um and then even you know young girls like um Abby little Abby who's who's uh this young girl who started a magazine called Her Way Yeah, um, you know I think there's just so many examples of of ways we can Champion female athletes' voices, and it's great to see it.
1: Awesome. Was there anything else that you wanted to leave our listeners with? Oh, I just thank you.
0: Thank you for the support and for the love, I guess. Um, over the last year, especially around the Olympics, I was blown away by how many people watched my races or reached out to me and messaged me or stopped me in the street to tell me they watched my race. It's just so, so amazing. And I think. We had such a phenomenal Olympic and Paralympic team and so many incredible performances. So it's been super special to be home. And, yeah, thanks for the love.
1: <laughs> no, it's good. I remember one of uh, one of the girls in our team was talking about how she was just watching the Olympics and Paralympics nonstop because we were in lockdown in Sydney and it just felt like this lovely glimmer of hope and good stuff in yeah. the bits of all the Yuckiness of lockdown and COVID. So, yeah, yeah, thanks.
0: And that's so special because I think, you know, we were over there, especially in the lead up before going over, we weren't sure how it would be received by the Australian public because we were traveling when so many people couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But the fact that so many people rallied around us and, and yeah, loved watching the games at home and that it brought a bit of joy into people's living rooms, it was just the best.
1: Awesome. Oh, and just lastly, while I remember, I would love for you to share with our listeners your fitness goal for the year because you mentioned it at the show yesterday <laughs> and it's so impressive that I think everyone needs to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I think it, obviously goals are subjective and personal and, and for me this is sort of I never thought three years ago that I would be at this stage where it could be a realistic goal but um, last year I hit one pull-up for forty kilo, with 40 kilos. So my goal this year is to hit one pull up for 45 kilos so hopefully if, if i stay injury
1: free i can keep building towards that and yeah that's the goal <laughs> oh my god that is insane and if, if you do do it can you um get someone to video it and we'll share it on our women's health instagram account because that'll be just legendary <laughs> okay okay i'll try and try get it <laughs> all right thank you so much jess thank you so much Ever since chatting with Jess, I've been thinking a lot about 1% improvements. It's such a great reminder on those days when you feel like things aren't moving as quickly as you want them to be, that in fact, you are moving in the right direction. A couple of weeks ago, we had Cass Olholm on the podcast, who spoke about making sure you had a strong reason behind your goals, the why behind the what. And so we asked you on Instagram, what was your why? Why? Shannon Christina Sloan told us hers was to become the strongest, best version of myself so I can tackle everyday work and life. It also gives me an hour a day of me time. Shannon, thank you so much for sharing with us. And to you listening, thank you for joining us today. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gabilagin. For more inspiring conversations and great resources, pick up a copy of Women's Health Australia with Jess Fox on the cover or visit us at womenshealth.com.au. And if you have someone that you'd love for us to interview on Uninterrupted, let us know on Instagram at womenshealthaus. See you next time.